We're going to be learning in Chidusha Ben Chaim HaLevi, the third piece in Elchus Karban Pesach. This is Parak Hei Halacha Zayin. And the issue Rab Chaim is discussing is what the status of a Karban Pesach brought on behalf of a child is. Now, the case of the Rambam is very interesting. A child who becomes a Bar Mitzvah between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni. So the general rule is that someone who misses Pesach Rishon has to make it up at Pesach Sheni. And the Rambam rules that that same halacha applies even to a kid who was not yet an adult at Pesach Rishon, but then they had their bar mitzvah before Pesach Sheni, Chayav and Lasso's Pesach Sheni. So that kid who's now an adult has to make up Pesach Sheni and do the carbon Pesach then. But says the Rambam, if the kid was part of a group and they did a carbon Pesach on his behalf during Pesach Rishon, so then he does not have to do a new carbon Pesach for Pesach Sheni. So the Kesef Mishnah asks, how does this make any sense that a child is able to fulfill their mitzvah before they become an adult? The Rambam is implying that if someone did the Karban Pesach on behalf of the child before they had their Bar Mitzvah, they still fulfilled their Karban Pesach and they don't need to redo it on Pesach Sheni. But the general rule all over Halacha is that a kid cannot fulfill a mitzvah at all. And the example of this is the Gemara in Rashanach of Ches. If someone who is in the category of a shota, so they didn't have their wits about them, their mind wasn't working, and while they were in that category, they ate matzah on Pesach night, and then they got better, lo matzah, they have not fulfilled their obligation, because it's the same principle, you cannot fulfill the obligation of eating matzah when someone is in a state where they're not obligated in the mitzvah. The basic prerequisite for fulfilling a mitzvah is that a person has to be obligated at that moment to do it. So the same thing should apply if a child eats matzah on the Seder night and then they become a bar mitzvah. They haven't fulfilled their mitzvah yet with the matzah that they ate when they were a child. So the same should also be true of the Karban Pesach. Even though someone did a Karban Pesach on behalf of the child at Pesach Rishon, it shouldn't fulfill their mitzvah. It shouldn't count and they should have to redo it for Pesach Sheni. So that's the Kesef Mishnah's question. So he answers from the Mari Korkis that since the Torah explicitly included a child in the mitzvah of Karban Pesach, meaning a father can bring the Karban Pesach on behalf of the child. So this mitzvah is an exception. And if the father does the mitzvah on the child's behalf, so he fulfilled his obligation and he does not have to redo it at Pesach Sheni. So this is an exception because the Torah explicitly included a child that the father is able to do the Karban Pesach on his behalf. So Rab Chaim asks on the Mari Korkis' explanation that the Gemara Nidarm Lamid Vav, where it discusses this, it concludes that Sela Bayis, this halacha that the father can do the Karban Pesach on behalf of his young children, is not a Deoraisa. So if it's not a Doraisa, then we're back to the question, how can the child have fulfilled their obligation to the point where they're not obligated to do the Pesach Sheni if on a Torah level, this carbon didn't count for them? So first, Rab Chaim suggests that there's a conceptual difference between the mitzvah of the carbon Pesach versus the matzah. Because the mitzvah of carbon Pesach contains two elements. First of all, there's a mitzvah. But second of all, it's a carbon. Now, the nature of a carbon is different than a mitzvah because a carbon can be brought on behalf of someone and that sacrifice will count for that person. So that's a little different than a regular mitzvah. Now we have a category in halacha of cheresh shoteh people who have no agency in 
including a young child. So they're not able to do things which require decision-making and they don't have responsibility for mitzvos. So they are not obligated in a mitzvah. So that's why they're not obligated in the mitzvah of matzah. But they're not removed from the laws of the Torah. They're still governed under the rules of the Torah. So with regard to bringing a sacrifice on their behalf, there's no reason to exclude a child or a cherashot of a katan from having a sacrifice brought on their behalf. So that's why there's going to be a difference between matzah versus the Karban Pesach. Matzah, which is purely a mitzvah, since these people, including a child, are not obligated in the mitzvah of matzah, so eating matzah is a meaningless act when they do it. So we can't say that in any way they fulfilled the mitzvah of matzah by eating matzah because they're not obligated in mitzvos to begin with. On the other hand, the Karban Pesach, even though they're excluded from the aspect of it, which is a mitzvah, but there's a totally different aspect, which is the carbon, and that they're not excluded from. So if somebody brings a carbon Pesach on their behalf, that will count for them as if they were part of the carbon Pesach. And there's proof for this in the Gemara. The Mishnah says, If an orphan has an apotrophus, someone who's taking care of his estate, so he's dealing on behalf of the orphan. So if a few of those people sacrifice the carbon Pesach on behalf of the orphan, he can choose which one of their satyrs he wants to eat at. In general, you can't eat the carbon Pesach unless you were included in the group from before they sacrificed it. So in this case, the orphan can choose which group he wants to be part of because he's really part of all these different groups. So you see that when an adult brings the carbon Pesach on behalf of a child, it does count and that child is considered part of the group. They're considered one of the people on whose behalf this carbon Pesach was brought and they can then go ahead and eat the carbon Pesach at the Seder. So this is proof to Rab Chaim's idea that even though a child is not included in the mitzvah of carbon Pesach, but they are included in the aspect of the carbon being brought on their behalf. Another proof from the Gemara is the Brisa that says that a father can slaughter the carbon Pesach on behalf of Beno Ubito Haktanim, his minor children. So again, we see that if an adult brings the carbon Pesach on behalf of a minor child, it does count as a carbon for the child. So now this idea will answer the Kesef Mishnah's question on the Rambam. The reason the Rambam holds that if the adult brought a carbon Pesach on behalf of the child, he doesn't need to do Pesach Sheni is because even though he wasn't included in the mitzvah of carbon Pesach during Pesach Rishon, but he was included in the carbon aspect of it. So we can't say that the carbon brought on his behalf on Pesach Rishon accomplished nothing because in fact it did accomplish that he had a carbon brought on his behalf, which counts for him. So that's why he doesn't need to redo the carbon Pesach at Pesach Sheni because he already fulfilled that aspect of being part of a carbon Pesach. But of course, that's very different from the mitzvah of eating matzah, where a cheresh shotavikatan, people without agency, are totally excluded from the mitzvah, so eating matzah doesn't accomplish anything. So that's why someone who wasn't thinking properly, who ate the matzah, they were a shota at that point, and then they got better, has to 
re-eat the matzah because they haven't fulfilled their mitzvah at all. And whatever they did during their sickness doesn't count as the fulfillment of a mitzvah in any way. So that's a distinction between the mitzvah of matzah and other mitzvahs versus the Karban Pesach, which has this other element of being a Karban. So that can count even for a minor. And now Rab Chaim adds that there's another conceptual distinction between the mitzvah of matzah versus the Karban Pesach, which will also tie into this idea that he's developing. And that is when it comes to the Karban Pesach, Ikar ha-mitzvah The main commandment of the mitzvah is on the object of the mitzvah, the Karban Pesach itself. Offering the sacrifice which will fulfill his mitzvah. So it's intrinsic to the mitzvah, the object which is going to be used as the Karban. Since this sacrifice gets attributed and connected to the owners on whose behalf it was brought, so they automatically fulfill their mitzvah. So the mitzvah of Karban Pesach is very much connected to the object of the animal which does the mitzvah. On the other hand, matzah works differently. The actual mitzvah of eating the matzah, it doesn't involve the object itself. So the matzah is less important to this mitzvah. It's the fact that this person is obligated to eat the matzah and then goes ahead and eats the matzah, which makes this a mitzvah. So the main part of the mitzvah is being accomplished by the person who's doing it. The object of the mitzvah is less important to the fulfillment of the mitzvah. So if that's the case, says Rab Chaim, that explains why the Karban Pesach can count for a cheresh shotevikatan, even though they're not obligated in the mitzvah, but since the object of the mitzvah is so important, so even someone who's not obligated, if the object of the mitzvah is done on their behalf, so a karban pesach is brought on their behalf, they do get credit for it. As opposed to the mitzvah of eating matzah, where the whole mitzvah consists of the obligation to eat the matzah. So anyone that's not obligated in that mitzvah, who goes ahead and eats an object of matzah, has a Accomplish nothing. So that's why the Kharashot of who eat matzah haven't done anything because since they're not the person who's obligated, them eating matzah is not significant. So again, that reinforces Rab Chaim's overall explanation in the Rambam. The reason why a minor who is part of a Karban Pesach doesn't need to redo it at Pesach Sheni is because even though he wasn't commanded on Pesach Rishon, but he was part of a group that brought a Karban Pesach, and that Karban will count for him because he was attributed and connected to a group of people who had this carbon brought on their behalf. So he doesn't need to redo it at Pesach Sheni, but that's different than regular mitzvahs where doing it when someone is not obligated is meaningless and they have to redo it once they become obligated. But now in the third paragraph, Rab Chaim moves away from this approach because he still feels that it goes against the Gemara Nidarim Lamid Vav. The same basic question that he asked in the Mari Kurkas's approach that the Gemara in Nidarim seems to conclude that a carbon Pesach brought on behalf of a minor child does not count Mida Oraisa. So according to Rab Chaim, the same basic question you could ask on his approach. The Gemara Nidarm there says that a person should be able to bring a Pesach on behalf of his friend without his friend knowing about it because it's the parallel of a father bringing a Karban Pesach on behalf of his minor children. So the same way minor children have no ability to consent to the Karban being 
brought on their behalf, but still the father can bring the carbon on their behalf. So the same should be true on behalf of his adult friend who doesn't know that he's doing it for him, but it should still count. So the Gemara answers that Rab Zera said, avos, this whole halacha that a father can bring the carbon Pesach on behalf of his children is not a doraisa. It doesn't count under Torah law, so by extension, a person cannot bring a carbon Pesach for his adult friend who doesn't know that he's doing so. And the Rambam earlier in carbon Pesach, Beis Ches, also rules like this conclusion, that you cannot bring a carbon Pesach on behalf of an adult who does not know about it, who did not consent. So basically, we see from the conclusion of the Gemara and the way the Rambam rules that the essential problem with a father bringing the carbon Pesach on behalf of his minor children is that they're not able to consent, so they're not able to be part of the Karban Pesach like an adult who has no idea that this person is bringing the Karban Pesach on his behalf. So the Karban Pesach doesn't count for them. So that goes against the whole way Rab Chaim has been presenting this, that they are included in the Karban Pesach, even if they don't have a mitzvah. But the gist of this Gemara seems to be that they're not part of the Karban Pesach at all because they have no ability to consent and to sign up to be part of it. And that's necessary in order for the Karban Pesach to count for the person. So if so, this goes against Rab Chaim's whole approach. It's a sharper question than on the Mari Korkis because Rab Chaim had a more conceptual formulation why the Karban Pesach should be attributed to the child. So therefore, the question he's asking is a bit sharper and shows that the child is not part of the Karban Pesach at all. But either way, the Gemara seems to indicate that this carbon brought on behalf of a minor child does not count for him at all, not as a mitzvah and not as a carbon. So we're back to the question on the Rambam. If so, why does this kid not need to do the Pesach Sheni? So to answer this, Rab Chaim poses a question on the Gemara in Nidarim because it seems to contradict the Gemara in Pesachim Peiches. The Mishnah there that we mentioned earlier says that if an orphan had two carbon Pesachs brought on his behalf, so he has two apotrophsin, two people helping him out, and each of them includes him in his Karban Pesach, so he can choose which one he wants to join for the Seder. So the Gemara asks, Shema Mina Yesh Breira. This seems to indicate that there is what's called Breira, which means that in Halacha we retroactively clarify what the situation was to begin with. So in a case where there's a Halachic doubt, once that situation is resolved, we see it as having been resolved to begin with, at the earlier stage. So the same seems to be true here. Once the orphan decides which Karban Pesach to join, it seems that retroactively from the time they brought the Karban Pesach, it's already resolved which one he's going to join. Otherwise, he wasn't really part of the group when they originally brought it. So the Gemara answers that Reb Zera, again, the same Reb Zera from Nidarim, so this was obviously one of his points of expertise that he had thought a lot about. So he said, Selabayis Mikol that the words in the Torah selabayis, which make it a family affair, include the orphan even without Brera. So even if we say that it's not retroactively clarified, still the orphan could join either Seder because of this halacha of selabayis, which is an expansive inclusion. So Rashi explains what Reb Zera means to answer is that since the Torah formulated this as selabayis, that it goes through the family, so we don't need need the orphan's consent anymore to be part of the Karban Pesach. So even if there's no Brera, so we can't say that at the moment the Karban Pesach was brought, the orphan had already agreed to be part of it, we still don't need his consent and he can join 
either of the groups. So this interpretation of Reb Zeira seems to totally contradict what he said in Nidarim. Because in Nidarim he said that we do need the child's consent and that's why celibias cannot be a Torah law because we always need consent from someone to be part of the Karban Pesach. And if the child can't give that, then under Torah law they cannot be part of the Karban Pesach group. And now in Psachim he's saying the exact opposite, that celibias does allow someone to be part of the Karban Pesach without consent. So that's how the child is able to be part of this Karban Pesach group even without consent and we don't need Brera in order for him to join them. So there seems to be a real contradiction between these two statements of Reb Zeira in Nidarim versus Psachim whether under Torah law a child or someone who doesn't give consent can be part of the Karban Pesach group. So now in the brackets Reb Chaim says that Tosfos there is aware of this issue and because of this he interprets Reb Zeira's answer a little differently in line with what Reb Zeira said in Nidarim. So Reb Zeira means to answer in Psachim that since Selabayis is not a Do'oraisa, so the exact same point, that since under Torah law, someone without consent cannot be part of the Karban Pesach, which includes a minor, so too in the case of the orphan, he's not included really in either of the groups, so that's why he can choose which group to eat in. So while Rashi interpreted the answer that Reb Zeira is saying, under Torah law, you do not need someone's consent, they're still part of the group, Tosos is saying the opposite, that according to Reb Zeira in both Gemaras, you do need consent for someone to be included under Torah law. So in this case, the orphan is not included in either of their groups. So that's why you can go ahead and choose which group he wants to eat with. Now, Tosfos raises the issue himself. How can this kid eat with a group that he's not part of when that goes against the halacha that someone that's not part of the group can't eat? So Tosfos deals with that question. But Rab Chaim raises two more questions on Tosfos. First of all, the Mishnah seems to say that he could choose which of those two groups he wants to eat with. But it doesn't sound like he can go eat with any group that he wants. Whereas according to Tosfos, that he's not included in either of the groups. So why is he limited to those two seders where the people had him in mind? There doesn't seem to be anything better about those two seders than any other seder because none of them really included him in the group. So according to Tosfos, why can't he just eat at any seder? The second question that Rab Chaim raises is that there's a similar case in the Mishnah to the orphan, which is a slave that's owned by two different masters, and they both included him in their Karban Pesach group. So the Gemara quotes in Abraisa that in the case where the masters don't care, the slave can again choose which of the two groups he wants to be part of. So again, we have the exact same question that this seems to imply that there's Brera. So obviously when the Gemara answered in the case of the orphan, that answer is intended also to apply to the case of the slave. So the reason the slave is able to choose which seder to go to is again, like Reb Zeira said, because set labayis mikol makom. This phrase in the Torah is inclusive. Now, according to Tosvos, there's no way to say that that phrase is not da'oraisa because when it comes to an adult slave, it's certainly a da'oraisa. So if the whole premise of the answer when it comes to a child is that set labayis is not a Torah law because the child can't give consent, that's not going to answer the case of the slave. So we're going to be stuck 
stuck with a question about the slate, as opposed to Rashi's explanation that here the Gemara is saying that you don't need consent from the minor, so the same applies equally to an adult. Even if the adult doesn't know that he's part of the group, he could still be included in the Karban Pesach. So that's also going to explain why the slave is able to be included in either of the groups. So these are Rab Chaim's two questions on Tosis's approach. So that's the brackets. And now we're back to Rashi's approach. But again, in Rashi's approach, there is a problem because Reb Zera seems to be contradicting himself between Nidarim and Psachim. So Reb Chaim answers this contradiction by reinterpreting what the Gemara in Nidarim means when it says that Sela Bayis is not a Torah law. So the way he explains this is that everyone's going to agree that when the Torah said Sela Bayis, that the Karban Pesach comes on behalf of the family, so that certainly means that everyone can be included in the Karban Pesach group, even the minors. So that tells us, as Rashi and Pesachim points out, that even if someone doesn't give consent, they're still part of the Karban Pesach. And the proof that it has to be this way is from the case of the Avadim, the slaves, where the Gemara and Pesachim Peches explicitly says that the master could bring the Karban Pesach on behalf of the slave, even without the slave's consent. Now, when it comes to the slave, so their inclusion in the Karban Pesach group has to be a Torah law because there's a view in the Gemara that women are obligated in the Karban Pesach and slaves have the same rules as women. So the slave is also obligated in the Karban Pesach. So it's obvious that if the slave is obligated under Torah law to bring the Karban Pesach and still the master is able to bring the Karban Pesach on behalf of the slave without the slave's knowledge, so Obviously, that works even according to Torah law. And even according to the other view that women are not obligated in the Karban Pesach, they have the right, they're able to join, but it's optional. They don't have to join. So that would mean the equivalent is true for slaves also, that it's optional if they want to join, but they don't have to. But still, the halacha that the master can bring it without the slave's knowledge has to be a da'oraisa because otherwise he's not able to eat from the Karban Pesach. That's the basic rule of the Karban Pesach that only people who are part of the group are able to eat it. So if this slave is not considered part of the group under Torah law, then there's no way he can eat from the Karban Pesach. So either way, it's clear from the case of the master bringing the Karban Pesach on behalf of the slave without the slave knowing about it beforehand, the fact that that works must be a deoraisa. So it has to be that sela bias, the phrase in the Torah, which includes that the father can bring the Karban Pesach on behalf of minor children who aren't able to consent and they're still considered part of the Karban Pesach group, that has to be a Deoraisa concept. Otherwise, we have no way to explain how that equivalent case works in the case of the slave. So from all of this, it becomes now clear that unlike Rab Chaim's original assumption that when the Gemara in Nidarim excludes Sela Bayis, that it's not a Torah law, it's not referring to the concept that you can bring a carbon Pesach on behalf of someone without their knowledge or consent and they still are part of the carbon Pesach group because that must be a Torah law. So now what then is the Gemara in Nidarim excluding from Torah law? So Rab Chaim explains that the Gemara is trying to say that Sela Bayis doesn't make these people like minor children 
obligated in the Karban Pesach. So what the Gemara is trying to say is even though they could be part of the Karban Pesach group, but they're not obligated to be part of the Karban Pesach group. We might have thought that since the father is able to bring the Karban Pesach on behalf of everyone in his family, so maybe the minors are even obligated in this mitzvah, even though in general minors are never obligated in any mitzvah, but maybe Karban Pesach is an exception because of Sela bias. So that's what the Gemara clarifies, that even though he's able to include his minor children in the Karban Pesach group, but they're not obligated in the Karban Pesach. So now this approach is going to answer the apparent contradiction between Reb Zeira in Nidarim versus Pesachim. What he means to say in Nidarim is that the minors are not obligated in the Karban Pesach, even though they could be part of the group. So that's what it means, Selabais is not a Torah law, meaning they don't have a Torah obligation. But it's still true that they could be part of the Karban Pesach group on a Torah law level. So that's why in Pesachim he says that we don't need Brera in order to allow the orphan to eat at either of the seders, but rather because of Sela Bayis, according to Torah law, both of the adults were able to include him in their Karban Pesach groups so he could go eat in either one, whichever he chooses. So that's the explanation for the seeming contradiction between these two statements of Reb Zeira. Now the one loose end in this approach that still needs to be explained is that the Gemara in Nidarim says that since the minor children are not included in Sela Bayis under Torah law, so therefore we cannot derive from that halacha to the case of someone bringing a Karban Pesach for their friend who doesn't know about it, that it's going to count. But according to Rab Chaim's interpretation of all this, that doesn't seem to make any sense anymore because when it comes to including another adult who doesn't know about it, the issue is whether they can be part of the Karban Pesach group. And according to Rab Chaim, that is true of the minors, that they could be part of the Karban Pesach group. So even though the minors are not obligated in the Karban Pesach, but they could still be part of the group, so the other adult who doesn't know about this Karban Pesach, so obviously he is obligated in the mitzvah of Karban Pesach. So if someone brings a Karban Pesach on his behalf without him knowing about it, it should still count because he could be part of the group even without knowing about it. So there seems to be an issue in the way the Gemara distinguishes between the case of Sela bias regarding young children versus the case where he's bringing a Karban Pesach for an adult who doesn't know about it because according to Rab Chaim, since you can include someone in your group without their consent, there's no reason to differentiate between them. So Rab Chaim gives a very clever answer based on the Rambam in Mechusrei Kapara Aleph Hey. The Rambam codifies in which circumstances you can bring a Karban for someone else who doesn't know about it. And the phrase the Rambam uses is Shekol Mechuyave Karban Ein Makriven Al Yodan Elamidaitan. Anyone who's obligated in a Karban, you cannot bring a Karban on their behalf without them knowing about it, except for a few exceptions. But the basic principle that the Rambam articulates is that if someone is obligated in a carbon, you cannot bring that sacrifice on their behalf unless they know about it and agree to it. So Rab Chaim points out that a careful reading of this language in the Rambam indicates that the Rambam is limiting this halakha to sacrifices that are obligatory. So if someone is obligated to bring a carbon, then you can't bring it without them knowing about it. But if someone has the option to bring a carbon, then it sounds like you could bring it even without them knowing about it. 
So now based on this distinction in the Rambam between obligatory versus voluntary offerings, now says Rab Chaim, this is going to explain what's going on in the Gemara in Nidarim. Because since Karban Pesach is an obligatory sacrifice, so in general you cannot bring it for someone else without them knowing about it. But the Gemara initially thought that Sela Bayis is a Torah law, meaning not only that the minors can be part of the group, but even a step above that, that the father is obligated to bring the Karban Pesach on behalf of all of his minor children. So if there's an obligation on the minor children to be part of this mitzvah, so now that means that the father is able to fulfill their obligatory Karban, even though they don't know about it. So initially, the Gemara assumed that this is an exception to the rule that an obligatory Karban, the person has to know about it, because we have the case of the Karban Pesach of the minor, where the minor does not consent, and it still fulfills their obligation. So the same should be true for any adult, even though they don't know about the Karban Pesach, if someone brings it on their behalf, it still fulfills their obligation. So on that, the Gemara answers that Sela Bayis is not a Do'oraisa, which as Rab Chaim explained, all that means is that the minors are not obligated in the Karban Pesach, but they could be part of the Karban Pesach group. But as soon as we downgrade their status, that they're no longer obligated in the Karban Pesach, so that gets rid of the whole proof, because of course the father could bring it on their behalf since it's a voluntary Karban. But we can't derive from there to the case of an adult's Karban Pesach, which is obligatory, that someone could bring it without the person's knowledge. So that's why the Gemara says that once the children are no longer obligatory, it means that for an adult, he cannot bring the Karban Pesach without the person agreeing to it, but without their knowledge, it's not going to work because for them, it is an obligatory Karban. So at the end of the day, both of these Gemaras are indicating the same thing, that the minor children are not obligated in the Karban Pesach under Torah law, but they could be included in the Karban Pesach group under Torah law. And Reb Zera is consistent in that overall view, both in Adarim and in Pesachim. Now, in the fourth paragraph, Rab Chaim questions his approach because his assumption in what he's saying is that the Karban Pesach is like any other sacrifice. So anyone that's obligated to bring it can't be brought without their knowledge, but minors who are not obligated, it could be brought without their knowledge. But says Rab Chaim, there is another conceptual formulation of this, which is that since the Karban Pesach overall is an obligatory sacrifice, even though for minors it might not be obligatory, but obviously for everybody else, it's obligatory. So the Karban Pesach is considered in the category of obligatory offerings for everybody, even the minors. In other words, we don't look at each person, whether they themselves are obligated or not, but we look at the category of the offering and the Karban Pesach is in the category of obligatory offerings. So it doesn't matter then on whose behalf this Karban Pesach is coming, whether they themselves are a minor, either way, it has the rules of an obligatory offering. And Rab Chaim says that there's proof for this formulation because at the end of the day, why does the Torah need to say bias to include that the father could bring the offering for his minor children? That seems obvious. As we said, any voluntary offering you can bring on someone else's behalf without their consent. So it seems obvious that the minor's Karban Pesach is a voluntary offering because they're not obligated in mitzvos. So since it's a voluntary offering, the father should be able to bring it on behalf of the minor children. The Torah should not need to add any words in order to teach us that halacha. So the fact that the Torah needs to tell us 
request that the father can bring the Karban Pesach on behalf of his minor children indicates, like Rab Chaim is saying now, that the entire sacrifice is considered obligatory even when it's on behalf of someone who's not obligated. So that's why ordinarily we would have assumed that the father cannot bring it on behalf of the minors, even though they're not obligated themselves. But since it's a carbon Pesach, it cannot be brought on behalf of anyone without their consent, and minors are not able to consent. So that's why the Torah tells us, Selabayis, that here the father is able to bring the carbon Pesach on behalf of his minor children. In addition, Rab Chaim has another proof to this formula because the Gemara in Psachim Peches says that you cannot bring a Karban Pesach on behalf of a woman without her knowledge. Now there is a view, like we mentioned before, that women are not obligated in the Karban Pesach. It's a voluntary offering for them. So according to that view, why do you require the woman's consent in order to bring the Karban Pesach? As we said, in general, when it's a voluntary offering, you don't need the person to know about it. So why does the Gemara say, according to the view, that women women are not obligated in the Karban Pesach, that they do have to know in order to be included in the Karban Pesach group. So again, that proves that when it comes to the Karban Pesach, we consider the whole category obligatory, even if the person on whose behalf it's being brought is not obligated in the mitzvah. So those are Rab Chaim's two questions against his whole idea that if minors are not obligated in the Karban Pesach, then it's obvious that their father can bring it on their behalf like any other voluntary offering. But it seems from these two places in the Gemara that the Karban Pesach always works differently even when it involves minors or children. So Rab Chaim explains that we could still use his original approach and this is based on a very nice conceptual formulation. He says that even if women in the Karban Pesach are voluntary, they're not obligated, but that only means that the bringing of the Karban Pesach is voluntary. They are not not obligated to bring the carbon pesach. But once it is offered, so then it's offered like a regular carbon pesach, which is obligatory. So it has all of the halachas of a regular obligatory carbon pesach. In other words, we can't differentiate between the carbon pesach brought on behalf of a woman versus the carbon pesach on behalf of a man once it's being brought. At the moment when the carbon is being sacrificed, it has to be done fully like a carbon Pesach. Otherwise, it's not considered a carbon Pesach. Now, the woman is not obligated to bring it to begin with, so she doesn't have to fulfill this mitzvah. But if she does choose to do the mitzvah and be part of a carbon Pesach, so then she would have to offer that carbon Pesach with the full halachas that apply to any other carbon Pesach. So that explains why in this case, you cannot bring a carbon Pesach on behalf of a woman without her knowing about it, even though she's not obligated it's not like Rab Chaim said earlier because the Karban Pesach always has the status of an obligatory sacrifice. It's a different idea. Even though she's not obligated in this Karban Pesach, but the Karban Pesach itself still needs to be treated like a regular Karban Pesach, which cannot be brought without the person knowing about it. So the same is true of the woman. So that's how Rab Chaim answers his question from the case of a woman that even though it's voluntary, we still need her consent. And the answer is because the voluntariness is bringing it to begin with. But once it's coming as a carbon Pesach, then it needs consent like every other carbon 
Pesach. Now, what about the first question? Why does the Torah need to go out of its way to tell us that children are able to be included in a Karban Pesach if it's anyways a voluntary offering for them? So first, Rab Chaim points out that the solution he offered regarding a woman's Karban Pesach is not going to work in the case of a child's Karban Pesach because a child is different than a woman. They're not obligated in mitzvos at all. A woman is included in the obligation of mitzvos. She's just not obligated in Karban Pesach, according to one view. But she is included in the concept of being obligated in mitzvos with regards to many other mitzvos. So that's why we could differentiate that once she chooses to be part of the Karban Pesach, it has the full status of an obligatory Karban Pesach. But kids are more removed from mitzvos than a woman is because they're not obligated at all. There is no concept of responsibility that a kid has to do a mitzvah. So according to Rab Chaim, that means that you can't even say that a kid's Karban Pesach is brought voluntarily, but it's treated like an obligatory Karban Pesach. Because since a kid is totally not included in the whole concept of obligatory mitzvos, so even if they choose to bring a Karban Pesach, it cannot have any of the characteristics of an obligatory Karban Pesach. So we need a different solution for the case of the kid's Karban Pesach than for the woman's Karban Pesach. So Rab Chaim basically admits that the case of the kid's Karban Pesach, the fact that the Torah had to include it specially, even though it's a voluntary offering, means, like he said, that the Karban Pesach is categorized as an obligatory sacrifice. So even in a case where this person is not obligated, like a minor, but it still has the status of an obligatory sacrifice, and it can cannot be brought without their consent, and that's why the Torah needed to explicitly include that the father could bring the carbon on behalf of his young children. Now, that still doesn't undermine Rab Chaim's overall approach, because Rab Chaim says there's still gradations. So the minor's carbon Pesach, even though it's treated as an obligatory sacrifice, so that's why it would have required consent of the children, if not for the special exception the Torah made, but that's still different than the case of the adult's carbon Karban Pesach, where not only is it categorized as an obligatory offering, but it actually is an obligatory offering for this adult. So that's a more obligatory type of offering than the kid's obligatory offering of the Karban Pesach. So basically there's gradations here. Even though we're saying that the minor's Karban Pesach is treated like an obligatory Karban, but it's still not fully obligatory because the kid themselves is not obligated. Whereas the adult's Karban Pesach has an added level of obligatoriness because the adult themselves is obligated. So any additional level of obligatoriness is going to change the halacha. So that's what the Gemara Nidar means to say that we cannot derive from the case of the minor's Karban Pesach to an adult's Karban Pesach that if minors don't need consent then the adult doesn't either because the minor's Karban Pesach is less obligatory than the adult's even though it is somewhat obligatory but the adults is more fully obligatory and that additional level of obligation that the adult has may throw off the halacha and make it that without consent the carbon Pesach doesn't count for them. So that's why we can't learn out adults from kids and the adult needs to know about the carbon Pesach in order to be part of the carbon Pesach group. So that's how we could interpret the Gemara in Nedarim with Rab Chaim's approach 
even given this additional problem that Rabbi Chaim now raised. Now he points out that Rabbi Yochanan does say in the Gemara that mechusre kapara, so there's a group of sacrifices which need to be brought in order to atone for someone to purify. So if someone is missing those sacrifices, Rabbi Yochanan says that just like an adult can bring those sacrifices on behalf of a child without his knowledge, so too he can bring it on behalf of an adult without their knowledge. So here we are comparing adults to children. But says Rab Chaim, that is going to fit in with his overall approach because those mechusre kapara, the missing atonement sacrifices, are obligatory on children as well as adults. So that makes perfect sense that we can derive the halacha that adults don't need knowledge of it from the case that children don't need knowledge of it because both of the obligation levels in those two cases are the same. But again, the Karban Pesach, which has a lower status for children, that they could be included in the Karban Pesach group, but they're not obligated in the mitzvah. So there we cannot learn out the case of adults from children. So this all supports Rab Chaim's approach. So now Rab Chaim brings back the whole piece to the original question, why according to the Rambam does a minor who was included in the Karban Pesach not need to do Pesach Sheni? So now the answer is very clear. Because even though the Gemara in Nedarim says that the minor is not included in the Torah obligation of Karban Pesach, but as Rab Chaim just explained at length, it only means that he's not obligated in Karban Pesach. But the Gemara never means to say that he can't be included on a Torah level in the group of the Karban Pesach. So since if someone includes a minor in the Karban Pesach group, that works according to the Torah. So therefore, when Pesach Sheni comes around, he does not need to do another Karban Pesach because he already fulfilled the mitzvah at Pesach Rishon. So this explains now very nicely the Rambam's ruling in this case. Now it seems that at the end of the piece, Rab Chaim actually returns to the Mari Korkis's answer that he began with, that a katan can be included in the mitzvah of the Karban Pesach. Originally, Rab Chaim asked on that from the Gemara Nedarim, but now that Rab Chaim interpreted that Gemara with this whole piece, so now the Mari Korkis's answer seems to work that when someone includes a minor in the Karban Pesach group, they are included in that mitzvah. So it doesn't seem that Rab Chaim needs the ideas that he initially suggested that the Karban Pesach is different because there's an element of a carbon to it, and because the mitzvah is focused on the object, you could still borrow some of those ideas in order to explain this halacha, but basically it seems like there is no contradiction between the Gemara and Nidarim against the Mari Korkis, because like he said, the minor could be included in the Karban Pesach mitzvah and fulfill his mitzvah then. So that seems to be sort of a simple formulation how to explain the Rambam, and Rab Chaim at the end seems to be defending that approach with his whole interpretation of the Gemara and Nidarim. So this is Rab Chaim's approach to explain the Rambam. The key conceptual idea is that when it comes to a minor's Karban Pesach, they could be included in the Karban Pesach group, but they are not obligated in the mitzvah. In addition, there are some other nice conceptual formulations in this piece. First, Rab Chaim suggests that the Karban Pesach is different than other mitzvahs because it includes not only the element of the mitzvah, but also the Karban, that it has to be brought on behalf of the person. In addition, Rab Chaim differentiates that the Karban Pesach is a mitzvah on the object. So once that animal is brought as the Karban Pesach, the person automatically fulfills their mitzvah, as opposed to other mitzvahs, which need the person to use an object, but the main obligation is for the person to go ahead and do the action of the mitzvah. 
So that's another way to differentiate between Karban Pesach and other mitzvahs. In addition, Rab Chaim suggests that even according to the view that a woman is not obligated in Karban Pesach, it's a voluntary mitzvah, but that's only in terms of whether she brings the Karban Pesach or whether she's part of the Karban Pesach. But once they are bringing a Karban Pesach on her behalf, so that Karban now has to have all of the regular rules of a Karban Pesach, it transforms into a regular obligatory Karban Pesach. So those are some of the nice conceptual ideas Rab Chaim presents in this piece. Now there is a big question on Rab Chaim's interpretation of the Gemara in Nidarim, and in the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, they quote that Rab Aaron Cutler in the Mishnas Rab Aaron on Kodshim Simen Vav, as well as Rab Shach in the Aviezri on this Rambam, as well as Rab Shlomo Zalman Arbach in the Minchas Shlomo on Nidarim, and Rab David Pavarsky and Shurei Rab David on Nidarim, so they all asked this question. And in fact, Rab Chaim himself seems to have been aware of this question. He's quoted by his students in the Chidusha Agrach Al-Ashas stencils on Psachim Peites. There's two long pieces about this topic, and he himself was aware of this question. So the question is that the Gemara in Nidarim brings a proof to Reb Zeyra's view that Sela Bayis is not the Oraisa. From the case of a Mishnah of a father who says to his sons, I'm sacrificing the Karban Pesach for whichever one of you shows up first in Yerushalayim. So the rule is once the first one arrives, he acquires the Karban Pesach and through him, the rest of the brothers are also part of the Karban Pesach. So the Gemara says that if Selabais is a Deoraisa, then how does this son acquire the Karban Pesach after it's already been sacrificed? The basic rule of the Karban Pesach is that you have to be part of the group when it's alive. So once this Karban Pesach's already been sacrificed and then the son shows up in Yerushalayim, what does it matter at that point? How is he able to create a group around him after the animal's been sacrificed? So it must be that Selabais is not a Deoraisa. Now, according to the standard interpretation of the Gemara, the issue is whether the father needs to create a group with his minor children or they can just eat the Karban Pesach even though they're not part of a group. So if Selabais is a Deoraisa, then they need to be part of the group. Otherwise, the father can just feed the minors. It doesn't matter. So that makes sense. The Mishnah, which says that the children can acquire the Karban Pesach after it's been sacrificed, only works if we say that children do not need to be part of a group. So according to the standard interpretation, the proof from the Mishnah makes a lot of sense. But according to Rab Chaim's reinterpretation, so the question in the Gemara is not whether the children need to be part of a group. Of course they need to be part of a group. The question is whether they're obligated in the Karban Pesach. So now all these Rosh Yeshiva point out the proof from the Mishnah seems to make no sense because even if we say Sela Bayis is not a Deoraisa, what that means according to Rab Chaim is that the minors are not obligated in the mitzvah of Karban Pesach, but they do need to be part of a group. So again, the Mishnah is not going to make sense. How can they be part of a group after the animal's already been sacrificed? So the Gemara right there seems to be a problem for Rab Chaim's interpretation. And as I mentioned, there are some answers to this question, it seems highly unlikely that Rab Chaim was not aware of a glaring problem in a Gemara that he had obviously thought a lot about. But either way, we're going to just leave it at that. Now, there is another question on Rab Chaim, and Rab Shach in the Avi Ezri asks this, as well as Dayan Yisrael Yaakov Fisher in his marginal comments on Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi. So they both ask that Rab Chaim throughout this piece keeps equating the status of a slave with the status of a minor. So if we say that a minor cannot consent to being part of a Karban Pesach so they cannot be part of the group 
group, the same would also follow that a slave needs consent. And if they don't consent to be part of the group, then they're not included. So Rab Chaim holds that the whole issue of whether we can bring a carbon Pesach on behalf of the kids, even though they didn't consent, is going to be equivalent to whether we can bring a carbon Pesach on behalf of the slave, even though he didn't consent either. Now the problem with this is that at the end of the day, the case of the slaves is going to remain a big problem here. Because Rab Chaim said that we don't learn out from the case of the minors that you can bring a carbon Pesach on behalf of an adult who doesn't know about it, because the minors are a voluntary sacrifice. And again, even though Rab Chaim said that it's not totally voluntary, but it's on some level voluntary, so that's enough to make it that we can't learn out an adult's carbon Pesach from the case of the minors. But the case of the slaves is now going to be a big problem because the Gemara says very clearly that the master could bring the carbon Pesach on behalf of his slaves without the slaves' knowledge. And as Rab Chaim said, according to one view in the Gemara, the slave is obligated in the carbon Pesach. So according to that view, we now have a case where someone is obligated in a carbon Pesach, but someone else can bring that carbon Pesach on their behalf without their knowledge. So we should be able to derive from there to the case of a regular Jewish adult that if someone brings a carbon Pesach on their behalf without their knowledge, it still works. So the case of the slave where the master can clearly bring the carbon Pesach on his behalf without his knowledge is going to remain a big problem according to Rab Chaim. So Rab Shach has an answer to this question. It does not work within Rab Chaim's view, but it's a totally different perspective on the whole issue of the slave's carbon Pesach. Rab Shach says that the master does not need the slave's consent for the carbon Pesach because he owns the slave. So he's able to include the slave in the carbon Pesach without the slave's knowledge. But that's totally different than minors where the father does not own them. So according to Rav Shach, we can't equate the two cases. The master can definitely include the slave in the carbon Pesach group even without his knowledge because he owns him. But that's totally different than the case of the minors where the father does not own them. And certainly it's different than the case of a regular Jewish adult where his friend is including him without his knowledge, where his friend does not own him. So in that case, it's not going to work and we cannot learn that out from the case of the slave. So that's a second issue with this piece. Now they quote also an additional question from Reb Shmuel Rezovsky. This is in his Chidushim on Kidushin, page 182. And in the Sefer Zichron Shmuel, page 423, Reb Shmuel Rezovsky asked on Rab Chaim's point that he read from the Rambam that the only time you can't bring a carbon on someone's behalf without their knowledge is when it's an obligatory carbon, not when it's a voluntary carbon. So he asks that Rashi in Vayikra Aleph Bays, where the Torah says Lirzo no, that the person has to want to bring the carbon. So Rashi says that we're talking about even a voluntary carbon that the person chooses to bring. So this seems to go against Rab Chaim's principle that if it's a voluntary carbon, he doesn't need to know about it. Rashi says that in that case, the Torah says, so no, that he has to want to bring it. So Reb Shmuel has two answers. One is that maybe Rashi is not talking about a voluntary carbon where someone just brings it totally on behalf of the other person, but he means a voluntary carbon where the person made a vow that they're going to bring this voluntary carbon. So once they make the vow, it's already considered obligatory. So that's why it's not going to work if they don't 
don't know about it, but Rashi can still call that a voluntary carbon because they chose to make a vow. So that's his first solution. And he quotes that Rab Chaim's son, the Briskarov, also said something very similar, that if someone accepts to bring an Ola sacrifice once they make the vow to do that, so then it's not considered a voluntary sacrifice, it's considered an obligatory sacrifice. So that would be along those lines. But then he says a much simpler solution, which is the Rambam is talking about when one person brings the Korban on behalf of the other person. So there they need their knowledge unless it's a voluntary sacrifice. But Rashi's case is when the person brings a sacrifice on their own behalf. So there's no two people in this case. There's only one person. So there they very clearly need to want to bring the sacrifice. And it doesn't matter whether it's a voluntary or obligatory sacrifice since they are the ones bringing it. So it must be Lertzono. So Rashi does not contradict the Rambam's principle according to this.